just getting started. This is South Coast Tonight with Chris McCarthy and Marcus Farrow. They've got you covered on all the news of the day. From local issues to politics on both sides of the aisle. This is the place where the movers and shakers come to be heard. To listen. And where they're held accountable. This is South Coast Tonight on WBSM. Welcome to South Coast Tonight. I'm Marcus. Oh, that's weird. Oh, there it is. I'm Marcus. Chris will be back tomorrow. Uh, and, uh, but, but I'm here. Uh, and we'll be taking your calls at 508-996-0500. I'm actually joined now. You know, we've been having um, uh, many, if not most, of the statewide candidates for office have stopped by the um WBSM studio on South Coast tonight to talk to us and hear with us now is Lieutenant Governor candidate uh, Rep. Tammy Gavea. Rep. Gavea, how are you? I'm great. Thank you for having me, Marcus. Yeah, of course. Um, so before we get started, if you'd like to introduce yourself to the audience and tell us why you're running for Lieutenant Governor. Yeah, well, thank you so much again for having me. Uh, my name is Tammy Gavea. Running for lieutenant governor uh, because I have seen and experienced uh, just the many ways that we are leaving far too many people behind in state government. I grew up in the city of Lowell. Uh, my grandfather had been in the Carpenters Union. That put my family on solid economic footing. But that wasn't the case for so many of my neighbors and friends and classmates growing up. So I became a social worker uh, 25 years ago just to try to address some of the problems that I was seeing in my own community. I've been a state representative for four years and a single mom along the way. So some of the financial challenges that families are facing, I have lived through those. And so in this race for lieutenant governor, I'm really focused on putting people first and putting the health and the well-being and the dignity of our residents First and foremost, as we're making decisions about how to tackle some of the big issues that our state is facing. We're speaking with Rep. Tammy Gavea, a candidate for lieutenant governor. So what do you think distinguishes you from your opponents in the primary? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, first and foremost, um, my background as a social worker, my experience as a single mom, um, but also I'm a doctor of public health. And all of those experiences mean that I have the skill set, I have the lived experience to really get at the root causes of some of the big problems that our state is facing. And we are very lucky here in Massachusetts compared to what's going on in other parts of the country. But we have a housing crisis. We have a mental health crisis. We have a child care crisis. And we know climate change is already here. And we're still in the middle of, of COVID and figuring out how we're going to uh, move forward with a, an equitable response to, to COVID and our recovery from COVID. So that's what sets me apart is being able to be a municipal partner by tackling our state's big issues rather than just uh, leaving it to other po- other people in government to try to figure those those issues out. As a doctor of public health, um, how do you think the Commonwealth has responded to the coronavirus pandemic? Um, and what else do you think we need to do uh, coming out of it? Well, I think that the the population of Massachusetts overall did phenomenal. Um, I saw people working together to try to make masks for nurses and for teachers and other folks, uh, congregate care folks at the beginning of the pandemic. I worked with local distributors like at Joanne Fabric, who were able to qualify as an essential business, and they were able to get care packages out to folks who were uh, makers and sewers getting hundreds and hundreds of masks out the door in my district, um, which is the 14th Middlesex District alone. Um, You know, people really wanted to get 
the vaccine. Uh, that's why there was that mad dash and the scramble uh, to try to access the vaccine. Um, and, you know, folks also have been doing really great about masking and um, access to testing. But when it comes to state government, I think there were a lot of missteps. Uh, and the big misstep that in many ways compelled me to get into this race 15 months ago is our privatized response to the pandemic, where we forced people to go online to try to find a vaccine appointment. It was really hard to navigate the system. Um, and those mass vaccination sites were not accessible for many, many people uh, across the state. So I would have preferred that we had invested and, and actually utilized the on-the-ground expertise of our local health departments. They had been partnering with uh, local law enforcement, fire department. They had been partnering with the councils on aging and the, you know, the municipal leaders. They were ready to put shots in people's arms, but they never got it because the vaccine was diverted to the large vaccination site. So I think that was a huge misstep um, and a missed opportunity. And it it caused some some illness. It caused some harm because people didn't get access uh, to the vaccine when they needed it and when they when they were ready to get it. What type of public uh, health care options do you think the Commonwealth should have? I think we should start having a serious conversation and continue to build uh, support for a Medicare for all kind of system. It would help us with, um, you know, the opioid crisis that we're facing, um, substance use treatment in other countries that have um, a single payer health care system. They have much better outcomes than we have here in, in Massachusetts and in the in the country mm-hmm. um, because it's just one seamless system. Here you have multiple places you have to go. You have to get a referral and it might not. The, the the person you get referred to for a specialist might be out of out of your network. Um, we still have folks who um, are claiming bankruptcy because they just simply can't afford uh, access to some of the you know surgeries or diagnostics or medication that they need. And I've been a fan and a supporter of single payer health care going back to 1988 when I was 13 years old. My dear cousin got into a car accident in Canada. It put her in a coma for a year. It left her quadriplegic. My aunt and uncle never had to claim bankruptcy. They never struggled to pay for her medical bills because it was covered by uh, Canada. And if that accident had happened a couple hundred miles south uh, in the United States, they would have had to claim bankruptcy. They would have still been struggling. Um, so that really said to me that government can work together. It can you know, provide uh, some of the access to resources and we don't have to do it exactly like Canada or any of the other countries that have single payer. We can figure out what our our flavor is here in Massachusetts. But I do think that's an area where we can uh, really lead on. Yeah, you know, I, 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 there was a time, and it's, it still happens now, but I remember there'd be news stories in the Boston Globe about uh, surprise charges coming from people with uh, that uh, go to a partner's health insurance, uh, health uh, coverage uh, uh, facility. And um, are you talking about a Medicare for All at the state level? How would that work? Because I know it was tried in Vermont a few years ago. Uh, it didn't necessarily work out. So how would a Medicare for All in Massachusetts work? I think we'd have to take a look at what what didn't go right in, in Vermont and learn from that. But I listen, we had we started Romney Care, right? We started yeah. off uh, the, the, the ACA, the Affordable Care Act. That started right here in Massachusetts. We know how to innovate. We know how to put our heads together to address problems. We just have to get the political will um, to, to really 
you know, put that on the table and figure out how to get it done. Uh, as I've been traveling the, the state over the last 15 months, I hear in places uh, throughout the state more and more interest. And I think some of that comes out of COVID too, right? People seeing that their access to some of the resources that they needed were really constrained because of uh, the health insurance uh, system, first and foremost, uh, that, that really does leave a lot of folks behind. So I see tremendous opportunity for us, um, but we have to build that political will and we have to build, as I said, build support uh, for a single payer. And it will help our small businesses. It will help our municipalities because they'll really be able to plan from year to year what their medical insurance, what their, you know, what those benefits look like for their employees, but also what the, what those, um, what the cost is uh, for themselves. I talked to small business owners who Sometimes their insurance rates go up 20, 30 percent from one year to the next, because when you're a small business, you don't have the same level of negotiating power with a large corporation. So it keeps folks, you know, out of some doing some of the things that they would want to do for their employees. It also keeps folks locked into jobs. If, if you're a diabetic um, or have uh, ongoing medication needs, you're going to think twice about going and working for a smaller company that could really benefit from your talent and that you might be happier at, but you stay in the job that you're in because of the health insurance that you're receiving. So that's why I think it's important for us to to look at that. It has consequences for our economy and for the workforce that we have here in the Commonwealth. You served served two terms in the legislature. Uh, Do you think there's an appetite for that type of uh, change uh, on Beacon Hill? It's not there yet. I think that the average person uh, across the Commonwealth, the average voter, the average resident, um, I think is coming around to the idea of, well, first of all, everybody knows that the system is not working. And I don't know a single person who really likes their health insurance company. I don't know a single person who likes to sit on the phone for two hours repeatedly fighting uh, over a 200 or a $700 bill, right? right? So we know the system isn't working. I think there's a lot of fear and the unknown of, well, what will the next thing look like and will it mean that it's even harder for me to get access to diagnostics or medication um, but I think there's a lot of work that we can do to to get to that point where uh, people are starting to embrace the idea. We're speaking with Rep. Tammy Gavea, candidate for lieutenant governor. So uh, Maura Healy is going to be the Democratic nominee for uh, governor. Maura Healy is likely going to be the governor. What do you think your role would be with uh, a governor Healy as lieutenant governor? Yeah, I really see tremendous opportunity for us to make something meaningful out of the lieutenant governor's role. I do have a vision for it. And really, I can be a compliment to Governor Healy, just given my background as a social worker and as a doctor of public health. Because I've been in this race crisscrossing the state for 15 months, I've heard from community after community after community just what these big issues are that we need to tackle. And those issues that really have bubbled to the top are housing, Uh, We can't just build our way out of the housing crisis. We have to have some regulatory and legislative guardrails and um, other ways of making sure that the housing that we are building is able to be accessed by everyday working folks, our police, our our fire, our teachers, our nurses, our municipal employees. Um, So I want to form working groups to address these five issues. So I want to form a working group to get at the root causes of the housing crisis. Um, You know, we have a lot of private investors that are gobbling up property and really raising the rents or, you know, jacking up um, how much the sales price is. So there's there's a lot of opportunity for us to address this issue, um, as I said, not just building. The second issue that I want to form a working group around 
is the mental health crisis and the human services crisis. Uh, 10%, at least 10% of the state's population relies on some form of human services, whether it's for disabilities or for an aging parent or for mental health care or some other kind of occupational therapy. We don't have enough folks going into these fields. That was the case before COVID hit. It's even worse now with the mental health crisis because of the level of isolation through COVID and also the level of trauma, particularly in our low-income communities and our communities of color that were hit harder by COVID. So there's teachers are leaving in droves. Part of what's driving them out is the mental health crisis. Nurses are leaving. Folks are, are leaving a lot of other human services fields, partly because of pay, partly because of workforce issues, but also because of mental health. The third is child care and getting at the how we can really build up the child care workforce. We were 25,000 workers short of what we needed in the child care sector even before COVID hit. We know that this sector has been completely decimated. So you have the mental health and human services and child care together. That's locking a lot of people, particularly women, particularly working moms, out of going back to, to work. And guess what? Women are more often going to be the ones who are teachers, who are nurses, who are in those fields that we are experiencing shortages in other areas. The fourth area, we're experiencing the climate crisis. We have drought. We have extreme weather conditions, uh, making sure that we are putting, um, you know, racial justice and economic justice at the center of the, our response to the climate crisis. Because what I'm worried about is the folks who can afford the electric cars, the folks who can afford the solar panels and the heat pumps, they're going to be able to move off of fossil fuels. They'll see a reduction in their energy costs. And the rest of us who are low and moderate income are going to be struggling to be able to make those adjustments and make those changes. So I want to that's the fourth working group. And then the fifth is around, you know, public health, covid response, as well as monkeypox. We have issues going on with vaccines uh, for other areas, you know, paying attention to what's happening with uh, polio. Is that going to be something for us to worry about? So really just making sure that we're um, keeping an eye on those. So those are the five areas that I want to tackle. Governor Healy won't have time to get into the nitty gritty, bringing in experts, bringing in people with lived experience to address these five areas. Those are the things that I can get to work on uh, on day one, rolling up my sleeves. Uh, I've already sort of been starting to do the work by talking to a lot of folks in these areas, uh, but also my background as a social worker and as a doctor of public health. We're speaking with Rep. Tammy Gavea, candidate for lieutenant governor. So you talked about monkeypox. That's a fairly new development in the cascading health crises that we're enduring here in the Commonwealth. Um, where do you think, uh, how, how, how serious, as a public health expert, how serious do you think the threat of monkeypox is? And what do you think needs to be done uh, to combat it? I think it could become something that's really serious. We need to get more information out to folks who are at increased risk. Um, In part, why we're at increased risk is the sheer number of students that are coming back to our college campuses. Uh, That increases our population significantly. And these are folks who are living in close quarters where monkeypox can be spread. Um, So having real conversations, honest conversations about um, the behaviors that can cause it to spread, it's just simply really close contact. 
um, it, so making sure that people understand that so that we're not stigmatizing monkeypox. That is the thing that interferes with a solid uh, science-based public health response is when we have stigma and shame that uh, is, is weaponized um, mm-hmm. and interferes with our be- ability to be able to protect public health and individual health. Um, so I think it's something for us to just really pay attention to and make sure that we're working um, with our federal partners and, you know, the, through the governor's office with the Biden administration to ramp up the um, production of, of the vaccine so we can get uh, access to it here. Um, that's a role that I would want to see us play uh, in, in the corner office as it relates to this, but also other emerging public health crises. You know, climate change is a public health crisis. Yep. Heat threat, right? It's a big deal. So, yeah, it's been... It's been really hot lately, and uh, everybody's uh, lawn looks like bales of hay. Uh, mm-hmm. What do you think, uh, as Lieutenant Governor, um, you know, what ideas do you have to tackle uh, the, um, the, the climate crisis here in the Commonwealth? Yeah, I would continue to build on some of the work that I've done in the legislature. So before COVID hit, I formed two working groups uh, with colleagues in the in the state house uh, to around the transportation bond and the transportation revenue package. So making sure that we are investing in our transportation system, making it greener, electrifying it, uh, raising yeah. the ramps so people can get on and off faster. That really helps with the reliability issue. Um, I do support fare free transit for our regional transit authorities as well as for our. Uh, um, and small buses, and as well as for the subway, um, so that we can encourage more people to take public transportation to get us off the roadways. Yeah. We have the worst traffic condition, traffic in the in the country. Uh, we have yeah. the the climate issue, right? So yeah. it's a win win if we uh, really move towards uh, fare free. And I when I say fare free for regional transit authorities, our buses, and for a subway, I mean without means testing. Because when you have means testing, it sounds great, and it sounds like, oh, you don't want rich people to get a free ride. I understand that. But when we do means testing, there's a lot of bureaucratic red tape, and you end up spending more money than if you just let everybody ride it. Um, So looking at those kinds of solutions, and then I also passed legislation to move towards – getting us faster with addressing buildings also as a source of greenhouse gas emissions. Um, So moving towards net zero, stretch energy code, and those kinds of policies. So continue to do that work, modernizing the grid. We have the, you know, the the wind and solar that's also expanding, continue to push on those uh, where we can. But also getting manufacturing jobs right here in Massachusetts is going to be critical. Um, and we can be on the cutting edge, the, the frontier of that, uh, if we just work together to really focus on those opportunities uh, to accelerate the pace at which we're creating jobs in the green economy. What type of manufacturing jobs do you think you, uh, we could come here? I'd love to see us, you know, manufacturing some some solar and wind com- components. Um, I don't know all the details of what we need to do here, um, but we also know we don't have necessarily enough electricians, enough folks who can also do the installation side. So there's a lot for us to do in terms of partnering with vocational and training programs, um, as well as figuring out where can we have and and retrofit and repurpose a lot of our mill space, not just in the South Coast, but throughout the whole Commonwealth um, that could be used for this purpose of light manufacturing and advanced manufacturing. We're speaking with Rep. Tammy Gavea, candidate for lieutenant governor. So 
We're, you're you're from Acton. We're down here in the South Coast. Uh, what is Lieutenant Governor? Can you do to help uh, provide opportunity for people down here? Yeah, I think it's um, something that I, I I see that would impact a lot of gateway communities, a lot of uh, the places that I have seen and heard really feel left behind. Um, we have huge financial challenges that families are facing every single day. Uh, we did not in the legislature get that economic development and tax relief package passed yet because of this 1986 trigger law. Yeah. I'm calling for us to get back into session after the auditor's report comes out that tells us, well, how much money are we really talking about so we can make decisions based on actual factual information, real-time information. Um, but in that economic development package and that tax relief package, there was tax rebates to go back out to folks um, in the Commonwealth, those who make between 38000 and 100000 You'd get a $250 check. Not a lot. I would like to see that be a little bit higher just because I understand how much people are really struggling financially. But because it had that floor of 38000 I thought that's also leaving so many hardworking people behind. Yeah. And so I filed an amendment and spoke spoke to passing an amendment to eliminate that floor, to make sure that even more people could get the kind of economic relief that they really need. Um, but also in that economic development package that I'd like to see us get back and pass uh, in you know two months' time um, has rental relief and relief for seniors and for folks with uh, the earned income tax credit and those who have uh, dependent dependents that they're taking care of at home. So I think that getting that done, um, if it's not within the legislature, getting it done and bringing it back um, out of the lieutenant governor and the governor's office and having an eye towards that kind of economic relief will benefit folks right here on the South Coast. But of course, you know, being on the South Coast, you got the you got the water, you got yeah. you got climate change. Um, so really being a partner to the folks here on the ground um, to address the issues that are coming up. Housing. I know housing is a huge issue. So it's all the things that I think I've already been hearing about that are somewhat universal across across the state at this point. We're speaking with Rep. Tammy Gavea, uh, candidate for lieutenant governor. So um, as um, as lieutenant governor, you uh, are going to be chair of the um, the governor's council. And so what type of uh judicial um candidate do you think uh you're most looking for when you when you chair those governor's council meetings because that's the primary responsibility of the governor's council yeah the only one that's written into statute besides stepping in when the governor's out of state so appreciate this question uh for folks who uh, may not have heard this before the governor's council is the body that makes the uh, appointments to the bench for for judges as Mm -hmm. well as parole board and what i'd be looking for um again leaning into my background as a social worker is um, appointing folks who understand the role that childhood trauma, intergenerational poverty, and structural racism play in folks becoming involved in the criminal legal system. Um, as a state representative now, I, I represent Concord, which has MCI Concord. I have visited the men behind the wall there. I have visited with the, the women at MCI Framingham and the folks at Susan Baranowski. And the thing that becomes really crystal clear to me uh, when I'm visiting and, and what I hear from folks is the level of childhood trauma that they suffered. And that along the way, we were not providing the 
kinds of consistency and, and support for young people. Right. We weren't providing mental health treatment or other uh, opportunities for them to be involved in their community. Um, we need to do a both and, you know, appoint the right kind of folks to the judge who will divert folks um, when it's appropriate into services and um also make sure that we're passing legislation to invest right back into our families, invest in our neighborhoods, and invest in our young people. I hear about it from young people directly, uh, whether I'm in Springfield or I'm in Worcester or Lawrence or, you know, even down here in the South Coast. It, young people, I say to them, what do you want from your elected officials? What do you want from the governor and lieutenant governor? Invest in us. We need you to invest in us. There's not enough for us to do, and we're getting into trouble as a result. We're speaking with Tammy Gavea, candidate for lieutenant governor. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. This is South Coast Night with Marcus. Chris will be back tomorrow. This will be back tomorrow, but I'm joined by uh, state rep and candidate for lieutenant governor, Tammy Gavea. So you, we just talked about this um, in the break, and I, I thought it was really interesting. You talking about um, the the di- our dire need for housing and mm-hmm. how you know we have an elderly population and a disabled population, but our disabled population is going to grow, right? Yeah, I mean we have a potential to see it grow due to long COVID, as we see uh, diabetes rates go up um, and other health conditions that result from folks getting COVID. Um, over time, I do think we'll start to see those numbers go up, and that means we already have constraints around access to accessible housing, right? right? For our elders and our aging population and our disabled population. And what's going to happen if we're not planning for the fact that we might also see uh, those increases in uh, disability rates? We're speaking with Tammy uh, Gavea, a candidate for lieutenant governor. So, uh, Rep Gavea, um, what do you think needs to be done to address uh, the housing crisis? Because, I mean, we're really experiencing it down here in New Bedford. Over the last 10 years, the population grew by 6,000 mm-hmm. and the, our total units uh, decreased by 2,000. Yeah, I mean, I, I as I said a little bit ago, we definitely do need to keep building housing. Right. Um, and we need to repurpose buildings that already exist, trying to unlock uh, some of the zoning regulations, I think, is going to right. be really important. Um, but also making sure that we're not allowing all of the housing that's getting built to turn over to the highest bidder. And what I mean by that is not everyday average people, but, you know, who are these folks who are you know, providing, uh, paying for houses in cash, 100000 over asking and waiving inspection. Right. That's not your everyday average person. Not anybody I know. <laughs> right. um, so those are the kind of things that I think we all, it's a both and. We have to look at building housing and putting in those uh, regulations that make sure that the housing goes to those who really need it. We need to do more around workforce housing that's a huge issue we know on the cape but also other parts of of the commonwealth as well and there are some things that some other um, cities and other parts of the country have done when they've realized that sometimes uh, especially luxury apartments or condos are getting bought up by people who don't even necessarily live in the united states as a place to park their money those units sit empty we see this in the waterfront a little bit and what happens is then there are, people aren't going to the local restaurants. They're not going to the local shops. So it impacts the local economy. It also impacts the state economy. So figuring out ways to perhaps 
if you're not occupied, that it's taxed at a higher rate because we have just such a severe housing shortage. And this has been going on, you know, for years, quite honestly. It's not just COVID. It's not just the economy. It's not just population shifts. It's something that's been really on the horizon for a while. We're speaking with Tammy Gavea, candidate for lieutenant governor. So you've been campaigning for some time, uh, and one of the big milestones in campaign season is in a couple of weeks. Who do you think to date has been your most important supporter? Oh, I think it's um, really, we identify as the grassroots campaign, just given my background as a social worker and the ways that I've really been building connections with folks all across uh, the the Commonwealth. Um, So I have support throughout the state. I was the founder of the Massachusetts chapter of the Women's March on Washington. So getting 10,000 people down to D.C. when I created that that organization, so to speak, we had a structure and uh, we had representatives in each county that was then mobilizing in their area. So I have some of that level of support from the folks that were part of that statewide effort, um, as well as some of the hard positions that I've taken as a state representative calling for greater transparency and greater access to government. So I have folks all across the state who are aware of my work, are aware of what I've done, uh, the the effort that I've taken on around uh, climate change and the bills that I've passed related to that. So we were able to collect all of our 14,000 signatures to get on the ballot with just volunteers. I feel really proud of being able to do that and get signatures in all 40 districts. So it's hard for me to say, you know, who's the number one supporter because sure. I really look around and it's it's all the folks who have really stepped up to help us in this race. I'm thinking about four. I've, I've run local campaigns for myself and other people, and I'm thinking about uh, getting 14,000 signatures, and uh, I want to pass out. <laughs> we almost did several times. <laughs> yeah. but. We're speaking with Rep. Tammy Gavea. You talked about um, calling for greater transparency in government. Um, you've been on Beacon Hill for uh, two terms. What do you think needs to change there? That what, what about the culture of Beacon Hill do you think needs to change? Because you're going to have a big bully pulpit as lieutenant governor if you win. Yeah, I mean, I think some of the efforts that everyday average folks are realizing that there's it's oftentimes hard to access information. It's Mm -hmm. you find out about a hearing a little bit too late. So you're not able to go to the hearing. Uh, One of the benefits or the the things that came out of COVID is uh, remote participation in hearings, uh, virtual participation, which I really do hope continues um, because it really has allowed more people, uh, particularly from the Western part of the state, but also the Southeastern part of the state, be able to participate people who don't drive. Um, but the reality is, is that a lot of people have a hard time figuring out exactly what's going on. We don't always know how folks vote in committees um, because right. committee votes are not made public. Uh, we don't always do a roll call, even for consequential pieces of legislation. Um, so that means that your everyday average person or your act- activist uh, groups can't find out um, what someone's position really is on a piece of legislation. Um, and then there's just that that ongoing, uh, or it's been uh, building, I would say, over the last couple decades, uh, the, the concentration of power. And um, mm-hmm. it, I think it's, you know, there's some efficiencies in being able to cut through things pretty quickly, but I think we're in an extreme place where um, it also creates bottlenecks and we don't get all of the legislation passed that if we had a little bit more decentralization and more members, everyday members being able to participate and give voice to, 
the issues. You know, it's kind of like, well, why were why were those who made thirty eight thousand? Why were those who make thirty eight thousand dollars or less left out of the economic development package? That makes no sense to me. That was a leadership decision. And I think that that's a really uh, it's not a strategic decision. It's not a fair decision. So when you say um, there's too much concentration of power, are you talking about in the speaker's office specifically? I think it's both in in the speaker's office and and even in the Senate presidents and, you know, folks who are just a little bit higher up as well. Um, And I just I believe that the better the better um, we get better policies when you have a little bit more people weighing in on what those policies look like, because we know our districts the best, Um, you know, folks on Beacon Hill who don't live in Western Mass or on the South Coast don't necessarily know what the challenges are, don't know how um, how much people in this region are are struggling or what their challenges are with transportation or educational outcomes. Um, so, you know, creating those opportunities for more folks to weigh in is something that I, I would like to see the, the State House uh, move towards quickly. We're speaking with Rep. Tammy Gavea, candidate for lieutenant governor. So you actually just came from an event in New Bedford uh, that I believe was hosted by Jordan Latham and school committee member Colleen DeWicke. Um Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, um, it was a really great uh, opportunity to be able to talk with folks on the South Coast about why I'm running for lieutenant governor and the vision that I have for the position, um, but also about my own background, having grown up in the city of Lowell and been, uh, you know, living as a as a single mom and what those experiences really have been um, in terms of uh, financial struggle and bringing that perspective uh, to the corner office. Um, it was really great to just be uh, in an outdoor setting outside in someone's backyard and be able to, you know, just connect with voters on the South Coast about about my values and what my perspective is. And, you know, to share that the Mass Teachers Association, the American Federation of Teachers have endorsed me. I have the endorsement okay. of Bay State uh, Stonewall Dems in this race as well. Um, so just being able to talk about uh, the folks who are backing me and why they're backing me in this race and um, the values that I'll, I'll bring into uh, the corner office as lieutenant governor. Why have the uh, why is the MTA endorsed you? Yeah, so even before COVID hit, really standing up for our teachers and our students, um, I think that we need to move away from MCAS as a high stakes test. I was really disappointed and dismayed to see that the Board of uh, Elementary and Secondary Education raised uh, the score needed for oh a graduation God. requirement. Yeah. We are suffering i i say talk about tone deaf right i mean teachers are leaving uh because the the job is harder they're now having to teach to the test even more we have a mental health crisis kids are really struggling in the classroom uh and then to raise raise that bar even higher when we know that there are a lot of problems in terms of uh implicit bias and and racism bias in that test yeah makes no sense to me and so i've been vocal on that and i've been vocal in standing up uh for our teachers through covid uh to make sure that as we were pushing to return to the classroom I, I filed legislation to get free rapid antigen tests out to every single person in our state, knowing that it would be a really effective, and it has been, an effective tool to give real-time information right. about your COVID status so that you can choose to then, if you're positive, stay home, 
protect yourself, protect your family, and then not spread COVID even further. Um, that legislation that I filed was not taken up. I, I met with uh, Commissioner Riley, was really advocating, and I met with uh, Mary Lou Sutters as well to really push to get these sure. tools out to folks. Um, and then the other piece of the sort of COVID equation is what's happening in our school buildings. So many mm-hmm. of our indoor air quality is not as healthy as it needs to be. We don't have HVAC that's really operable in a lot of our schools across the Commonwealth. And so I filed legislation with Representative Jim Hawkins from Attleboro. I had him on last week. Oh, good. Yeah. 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 Dear friend of mine and also supporting me in this race. And dear friend. And, you know, we worked together on that legislation. So because I've really stood up for making sure that the learning environment and the work environment are safe. That's why the teachers have have endorsed me in this race. Rep. Tammy Gavea, candidate for lieutenant governor. I appreciate you coming on today. I appreciate you coming down to the South Coast. Um, before I let you go, where can people go to learn more about your campaign? Yeah, you can go to TammyGovea.com, T-A-M-I-G-O-U. V-E-I-A. You can learn more about us there on social media. It's Tammy Govea M-A on all social media platforms. And uh, just make sure you get out and vote uh, either on or before September 6th. But that's how people can find out about me. TammyGovea.com. Thanks for joining us, Rep. Govea. Thank you so much. 1420 WB. Coast tonight on Marcus 508-996-0500 is how you can get uh, on the program. If you'd like, you can also message us on the WBSM app chat. That was Rep. Tammy Gavea. She is running for uh, lieutenant governor. She is a rep, uh, state rep for uh, Acton. Um, I thought that was a really good interview. I really enjoyed the conversation that we had. Uh, I enjoyed the conversation we had off the air too. And she's, um, she'll probably be okay with me saying this, but she's also against um, charter schools. Another reason why the MTA in, endorsed her. And you know my position um, on what a lot of these charter schools are trying to do here in, in New Bedford, like that Innovators Charter School uh, that had tried to. Um, uh, uh, sort of uh, take charter seats from New Bedford and Fall River and all that. So we had a conversation about that. It was it was um, it was good. Uh, really good, really good competitive primary for lieutenant governor. Um, really good candidates to choose from, uh, and you've heard them here uh, at. You've heard two of them here at uh, at WBSM, uh, and so. Um, I'm, I put out the podcast, actually. Uh, well, I will be in a, in a couple minutes putting out the podcast. You know what I like about our podcast feature is that it's available uh, in as close to real time as as, as possible. Um, so, uh, yeah, that was Rep. Tammy Gavea, candidate for lieutenant governor. Um, again, a competitive primary, and I would encourage you um, to uh, go check out her website, uh, uh, Tammy Gavea. I think she said TammyGavea.com. So uh, I'm going to take another break and I'll be right back. 1420. I'm Marcus. Chris will be back tomorrow. We'll actually be in with Sheriff Hodgson tomorrow. Uh, I was just joined by uh, Rep. Tammy Gavea. Uh, she is running. She's a, a state rep from Acton running for lieutenant governor. And uh, it's a competitive primary. You should go. Um, you should go check that out. And uh, the podcast of that, about that will be up soon. But just a preview of some of the candidates that we have coming up. Again, we have Sheriff Tom Hodgson in tomorrow. You know, you've been following the drama, the de- Democratic primary and the sheriff's race. Uh, that's been really interesting we'll say um we have 
Uh, next week we have the two candidates running for Plymouth County District Attorney. We have um, we have Rashawn Hall. We have Tim Cruz. Uh, Tim Cruz on Monday. Rashawn Hall on Tuesday. Wednesday we have the two candidates running in the Republican primary for the ninth congressional district. That's the seat held by our Congressman Bill Keating, and he the these two candidates, Dan Sullivan and Jesse Brown, will be in back to back. Will be in um, talking about their campaigns. And uh, Bill Keating will be in sometime soon as well. Uh, I've had some conversations, so he'll be in sometime soon as well. Uh, of course, you know, he's he was a regular with Chris, a regular with my show, and uh, he'll make his South Coast Tonight uh, debut uh, sometime soon. So uh, a lot going on, right? A lot going on. Cameron Costa will be in on Friday next week. He's running in the state rep primary, uh, in the Democratic primary for state rep against Chris Markey in Dartmouth. So that's that's a that's that's a that's a um, that's something that's a race everybody's looking at. Right. And uh, Chris Markey actually just got the endorsement of Maura Healy. I saw uh, recently. It's a big development, I think, in South Coast politics. He got the endorsement of Maura Healy. Um, and so that primary day is, is the same as every other primary day, September 6th. So we've got a lot of candidates coming in the next couple weeks. Uh, for the primary, um, it'll slow down a bit in the general, you know, when the field uh, tightens um, in terms of candidate interviews. But we're, we're certainly going to have them on. You know, you've heard from a lot of people. You've heard from, uh, you know, you've heard from all the auditor candidates, right? You've heard from Dempsey. You've heard from uh, Amore. You've heard from DiZaglio, right? That's a, that is, to me, the most fascinating uh, statewide.